Triple M. Please, a big 40 goes welcome to Australian football legend Mark Bosnich. Bosnich, thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure, boys. How are you all? Really, really well, mate. I'm Carlos Alberto Diego. With me today is Rodrigo Rodriguez, Donny Dominguez, and Cactus Chris Couch. Now, welcome to a special soft sombrero moment where it's a bit of a Socceroos series where the Diegos look a little bit more deeply into the careers of some of the legends of Australian football. Now, our research department tells us that you played all of five games for NSL Club Sydney United before being picked up by Manchester United in 1989. Now, that's straight to the biggest club in the world. You must have thought, geez, how easy is this football caper? <laughs> Not really. I'll tell you a story about that. Actually, I'd been to Manchester United as a kid when I was 16, and I had to come back because I couldn't get a work permit three years later at 19. So I joined uh, one of my boyhood clubs in Sydney United. Then it was called Sydney Cratcher. And after about, oh, I think it was four games, only about four games, I actually got sent off against Newcastle. <laughs> and Jelko Kalatz, Spider Kalatz, came in and played that well that I couldn't get back in the team. <laughs> so so during that during that time, I couldn't get back in the side. I, I travelled with the uh, Oli Roos to Fiji. And while I was in Fiji, an agent rang me up and said that Ron Atkinson from Aston Villa was interested in signing you. And uh, they came over in that January, and pretty much I was back in England by February. So there you go. That was 1991. Seems like yesterday, but it's not. I can tell you by looking at myself in the mirror. <laughs> now, Bozza, Bozza, you had two stints at Man United, and uh, and so we'd love you to tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson, and in particular, we'd love to know what was your most tender and your most terrifying moment with Sir Alex. <laughs> most terrifying. Oh, first of all, my relationship with Alex Ferguson, I mean, look, uh, the second stint I was there, I'll start from, like, the Farlap film, I'll start from the, from, the, from, the, from the end. The second stint I was there, we obviously had a, had a massive uh, disagreement just virtually after I signed, and uh, as I learned, um, you know, you're never going to win a battle with your boss, but uh, I stuck to my principles, and, and that's something that I, that I wouldn't compromise, and he should have discussed that before he signed me, but in saying that, the man has been a uh, a great manager for Manchester United and also been very good to me. He signed me twice. Um, he, he, you know, basically made me a, a very famous and very rich man. I could, I, uh, you can never take that, take that away from him. He uh, also gave me the opportunity, you know, to play for one of the greatest clubs in the world and, and to win two major trophies, which the, now it's called the World Club Cup. Back then it was called the Intercontinental Cup. And that night coming off the pitch in Tokyo, that was a game that I used to watch as a kid here in Australia when you, you know, the great Juventus sides, even Red Star, Belgrade, teams like that winning it, and no British team had ever won that. And for me, uh, that, that was a pinnacle in terms of, like, uh, you know, I, being realistically and not being disparaging to Australian soccer, but that was my chance of being a world champion, and, and I achieved that that night. And also, given the opportunity to win the Premier League title, which we did by about 18 points. Uh, going, back to the, going back to the first time around, uh, I'd been to Liverpool beforehand, and... That was in 1987, and uh, the late Eddie Thompson, who was the Socceroos manager here, who had gone to school, Sir Alex, had heard that I'd been to Liverpool, and Kenny Dalglish wanted to sign me. And that was at, around the time that he turned around and basically said to everybody he wanted to knock them them lot up the road off their perch. Liverpool were, were all dominant. And he started he started off by saying to the youth team managers and their scouts, I don't just want the best boys in Manchester, I want the best boys from everywhere. So, um, like I said, I was very fortunate. I went there in March 1988, just after I'd been to Liverpool, and after two weeks of trial, he basically locked me in his room and said, you're going to sign. Um, I'll be putting you on £200 a week, and I'll give you a £2,000 signing on fee as long as you give half to your mum. So I said, OK, deal. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> and most, most tender moment, I would have to say, um, oh, look, even during the throws, uh, we're having this little bit of a personal battle in, in, inside, inside the club 
we played against Real Madrid in the quarterfinals uh, of the Champions League at the Bernabeu, and uh, I had one of my best games I had when I was there. This is the second stint around. And it was funny because straight after the game, there was a massive argument raging um, between himself and, and David Beckham. And Gary Neville tried to deflect by saying something to me. And he actually turned around and told Gary, no, don't you deflect like that. He was our best player tonight. So that was the most tender, uh, most terrifying. Uh, I suppose as a kid, uh, we were playing an A-team game, which is like a youth team game, on a Saturday morning, which he used to always come and watch. And this was a November morning. And, the, and we were playing against Liverpool. And they actually had Alan Hansen, who won everything with Liverpool playing that day, coming back from injury, Steve Staunton. And we were 1-0 down at halftime. It was bitterly cold, and I had my long pants on. And he come down in the dressing room and absolutely ripped me to shreds and said, number one, if you don't take those long pants off, I'm going to send you on loan to Aberdeen, and you can freeze up there. And when you come back from Aberdeen, I'm going to send you back to that bloody Bondi beach, and you can go ponds like that, so get your pants off. So there you go. <laughs> so there you go. How's that? Very good. Buzzer. Yeah, very good. Buzzer Cactus here, mate. Just going back to that World Club yep. Cup final, how filthy were you at the uh, at the guys who judged the man of the match award that day? Because you were clearly best on ground. They gave it to I Ryan was. Giggs and they gave I him the was. Toyota. Exactly. Oh, look, look, listen, we knew that before. It was so funny because Phil Neville, who now plays for Everton, Gary's brother, uh, when we'd won the cup and he'd come running on the pitch, he started making motions like he was driving a car, like, so you got the car. And then as we're going up to get the trophy, Giggsy turned around and said to me, I've known Giggsy when I was there the first time. He said, Boz, he said, I'm sponsored by Toyota. You've got no chance. I went, I won you a medal. I said, that'd be silly. He goes, you just watch. And I, go, I saw the guy from Toyota. Uh, just basically, I went past him, waved my hand out, and he just like completely ignored me, brushed me, and went straight to Ryan. I went, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On tipping, you don't still drive one of those. Uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. Hyundai, Hyundai. Oh, jeez, yeah, oh, you've been working at Fox Sports yeah, too long. How's that, baby? Yeah, it's, right, it's, it's Rodrigo here, uh, Mark. Yeah. Now, in those days, the Diego's remember you as a you know a bit of a cocky, confident Aussie yeah. kid. You know, who always had a smile yeah. on your face, like you do now. Now, was this the real bozzer? Or, you know, was that armour, you know, you had to put on to deal with, you know, the pressure of Manchester United? Yeah, look, I'm a, how could you say, a cacophony, I don't know if that's a word, of quite a few characters, and I use them, uh, like you said, pretty much as armour, depending on the situation. I think I'm much more relaxed in myself and who I am now, but uh, going over there at such a young age and, and sort of, you know, being looked a little bit down upon, because you do come from a country that was regarded back then as a third-rate soccer nation or football nation. Uh, and you have to go through those trials and tribulations as a kid. So you have to develop a bit of thick skin. And people do it in different ways. Um, you know, I remember Teddy showing him, everyone used to say he was arrogant and, and he wouldn't talk to people. It wasn't that. He was just very shy. So he dealt with it in a way which he just used to go inside himself, where I went the opposite way. I'd sort of come outside myself. And that was my way of putting a little bit of a force field around me to sort of to say to people, you know, excuse me, don't, you know, sort of don't, you know, be nice, but don't sort of, don't encroach and sort of, you know, like that. So I think a lot of people got a, a wrong impression for two reasons. Number one, when I came back to Australia during the summer, which it was a European summer, but it went down here, it was in the winter in June. I usually only had about three or four weeks and that was our holiday period. So I, you know, want to enjoy myself. I have various commitments here with the Socceroos. I think people got a little bit of a different impression thinking, oh God, he's just some type of party boy and so forth, which is actually proved correctly later on. <laughs> 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 no, but like, so I only had those really three, sometimes even two weeks because I you know, had these commitments here with the Socceroos and all that. And I really wanted to make a point to enjoy myself and it didn't help the fact 
that a lot of times we're playing against the likes of Solomon Islands and, and no disrespect to them and that, but, you know, we'll beat them 13 and, you know, 14 nil. I'm coming back after a 60, 70 game season, you know, and I had Dwight York down here with me. I, you know, it was very difficult to strike that balance. I think people got that impression because of that. And also because like, I used to try to keep myself to myself and, and sort of guard uh, sort of my true self as much as I possibly could. Just, you know, you, you do have a... You know, usually when you hit a certain level, you, you do sit down with an agent, which I did in England, and said, look, this is the type of image we want you to portray and so forth, you know. Um, but, you know, it's funny sometimes, you know, if, if you continue to portray that image, you, you kind of turn into that person anyway. But to, to wrap it all up, like I said, I, I, can, I, can, I can adapt to any situation. But generally, I'm just a nice kid from Sydney's West um, who, got, who was very, very fortunate to, to play in the greatest league in the world and, and to see and do some of the things that I, you know, that I would have given a right arm for when I was a young kid. On the Four Diego's across Australia, you're listening to a very special soft sombrero moment with Mark Bozzi. Bozzo, it's Carlos. Uh, you were at Man U when the oh. golden generation, uh, Beckham, yep. Skulls, Giggs, the Neville boys, uh, were coming through at the club. Now, could you tell then that these guys were going to be legends of the game for Manchester United and also for England? Uh, well, I wouldn't say all of them. Um, David Beckham, yes. Uh, like They were a year below me, except for Giggsy, because he played in our year uh, with the Youth Cup. Uh, he was one of them special ones that played uh, played above their above their age. I could always tell with Ryan Giggs. He was a course. He was a called Ryan Wilson then, and I remember the first time he played at the Clip. It was a, it was a the Clip training ground was the training ground we used to use in Salford before they moved to Carrington, and it was a uh, cold Saturday morning as well. And he was actually on the books of Manchester City, and Fergie had arranged his friendly game, and uh, I think it was he was playing for St Helens Schoolboys, but he was actually on the books of Manchester City. And I remember it was like watching, I don't know, young Jack Nicholas or maybe a young Muhammad Ali. You could just see he was only 15. It was absolutely amazing. And everyone at the ground was just sort of, you know, gobsmacked at what they saw. And after that game, Fergie locked him in the dressing room again, done his trick, and <laughs> waited till his, waited till his mum come down and, that, and, and signed him up basically for life. So uh, you could definitely tell with him. David Beckham, you could tell, was a special talent, although there was always a little bit of doubt as to his toughness in terms of the physicality of the English Premier League. And that's where Fergie done really well. He sent him to Preston for uh, to on loan in the lower divisions to toughen him up. Uh, the other ones, like I said, they, didn't, they weren't great standouts. I thought out of all of them, perhaps Paul Scholes, but I was always worried about his size. But they had a great youth team manager, as I did, in Eric Harrison, who, who brought us all through. And uh, while he was in charge of the youth team, anything was possible. He's not only a great man, but he's a very tough character and had a marvellous record of, of bringing through uh, a quite, a, quite a lot of youth team plays, especially that golden generation. But the biggest, perhaps, uh, credit must go to Sir Alex because he did have the courage after, the, after they uh, lost the title, I think it was the third Premier League season, where they won the first two and they just missed out to Blackburn. He basically wiped the slate clean with Kinchelskis, Mark Hughes, and Paul Lintz, which at the time was hugely unpopular, and he put all these kids in, and we played in the first game when I was at Aston Villa and, and beat them 3-1. But I remember the last 30 minutes of the second half, they put us under enormous pressure. And I remember saying afterwards, you know, to, to the press, I, I tipped them for the title. I said, if they keep playing like that, you know, they won't always run into a goalkeeper like me every day. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I said, they got every chance, and they end up going, going, going on to win the double, and uh, and and the rest is history. <laughs> Bozza, you you are a legend. It's Donny here, Bozza. Uh, and now, you, now I've got a question for you without notice. What yes. is the biggest myth about Man U that you would like to clear up right now for our millions of listeners around Australia yes. and internationally podcast yes. on www.fortiagos.com? <laughs> nice play. Uh, biggest myth about Man U, um, I don't want to say myth, but, but 
you know, you, you build up a, an image, you, you build up, you know, from their successes they've had, you know, during the 60s with the, with the Busby Babes and, and then on, you know, with Charlton Best and Law, and then now on to the latter days with Sir Alex Ferguson. And because you're at such a distance, you know, you, I think sometimes the, the biggest myth can be that they are just normal people. You know, they're very, very special what they do, but at the end of the day, they're very, very normal people. That they're, they're, you know, they're capable of human emotions, of making mistakes. Um, but uh, the, the, perhaps one thing that, that defines them in, in the, even in that type of way is the fact that, and it was always drummed into us as kids, is the ability to come back from mistakes or, you know, you know from, from bad times. And I think that's something that perhaps, um, you know, probably dispels, well, adds to the myth, so to speak, because, you know, like they are human. At the end of the day, you know, you're talking to people that perhaps you see on TV or, you know, that you seem so far away, but when you're within touching distance, you realize that just like all of us, you know, like, you know, there's people that don't get on, there's things that happen in the dressing room and, and behind the scenes that happen at every other organization, whether it be sport, whether it be business, whether it be the media, whether it be the radio. And uh, it's just because that, you know, because of their success and because of the international brand name that Manchester United is, uh, things are just exacerbated tenfold. Now, Bozza, we've got to be honest with you. Uh, yeah. With the exception of Cactus, mm-hmm. we, the Diego's hate Gary Neville. <laughs> now, now, listen, mate, I know he's played like 400 games for Man U and he's yeah. won a heap of silverware. He's just, he'll go down with one of the le- legends of the club. He you know, played 85 times for England. Yeah. Now, we want to like him, but we just can't. You know, Is there something nice you can say about him to change our minds? Uh, <laughs> Gary's a, I was, he's not a, I wouldn't, he's not as good a kid as his brother Phil. Uh, I don't think he's as good a player. Um, I wasn't a great fan of him, but also I wasn't a, a great, uh, how can you say, nemesis of him as well. Uh, he, he has his own ways. He, he holds the club very, very dear to his heart. Uh, and sometimes that comes across in the wrong ways. Uh, like I'll put it this way. Like I said, I would trust Phil Neville much more than I trust Gary. Yeah, I'll put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's been redeemed, Carlos. There you go. Now, Buzzer, when we think of you uh, here at the Diego's in a villa shirt, we think party time. <laughs> <laughs> now, you hooked up with All Night Dwight. You were recognised at one stage as the best stopper in the world. Diamond yeah. studded Ron Atkinson was your manager. What was mm. the world like in your days there at Aston Villa? Uh, actually, the Villa days were quite quiet. It was just a build-up to a crescendo towards the end. But uh, uh, <laughs> listen, I was I was a young kid uh, as well as Dwight in a, in a dressing room full of seasoned pros and, and very successful internationals. You know, people like Paul McGrath, who um, you know was one of the most outstanding players that ever played the game. Uh, you know, to be in the dressing room with him, to play behind him, um, was an absolute honour and experience. And I'll tell you a story about Paul McGrath. When Republic Ireland played in the 1988 European Championships in Germany. Uh, they played against Holland, and Holland scored in the last minute to make sure they went through to the to the quarters or semi-finals, and they ended up going on and winning. This is the Holland team of Hullard, Van Basten, and Rijkaard. And after the game, and Andy Townsend, who was another great player, that's who I played with. After the game, Rijkaard and Hullard were queuing up to get Paul McGrath's shirt. That's how highly valued he was in, in the World Game. So to have people like that around, Ray Houghton, who had been with the great Liverpool sides. You know, it was a learning experience as much as anything. And fortunately for me, uh, I was learning as I was playing, and I, and I hit tremendous form. You know, I had a really good start, and the manager showed faith in me. And uh, and like I said, it was just it was a wonderful time. We we won two trophies during that time, and in the space of the seven years I was there, we won two league cups. When teams used to still play their league cup best team, I think Manchester United. We played in 1994. We beat them at Wembley. And they played their full team. And in 1996, we beat Leeds. So it was great to have success so early in your career. But it's just, where did your appetite for more? 
And and the big one, the Holy Grail, was always the Premier League, and then on to that, the Champions League. Unfortunately, I missed out on the Champions League, but got the one above that, the World Club Cup, which was a nice consolation. <laughs> sort of thing. I always saw that to Harry when Harry always goes about the Champions. I always go, yeah, well, you know, he didn't win the World Club Cup. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the real Holy Grail and what you go over to England for, and, and the thing that you remember and treasure the most is to win the Premier League, to be the best team in in a competition over ten months played over all conditions and in all types of weather is something very special and remains for you forever. Now, Mark, we actually call the World Club Cup uh, the Kissing Your Sister Cup. (laughs) 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 Now, Mark, um, on a a slightly more serious note, I shouldn't have got you in that mood, you know, how it all ended for you, you know, is well documented, so we won't go over that. But what advice have you got for any young footballer who, you know, is thrust into superstardom like you were? And how how does Ryan Giggs and, um, you know, Paul Scholes not fall into the same trap? Um, well, everyone's different. Um, it, it, you do need protection, and I, and I will say that. And, and when you've seen recent events in, in Melbourne, I've seen with the AFL and all that. I mean, I, it's sort of, you know, it, it brings back a lot of bad memories. And, I, you know, I, I think, you know, that type of stuff was going on around the time when I, uh, unfortunately, uh, like I said, sort of come a cropper. And I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I've seen it more and more in sport. And I would say, to number one, you need protection. You need protection by good people. And number two, you've got to be very, very careful when you reach a certain level financially and people know about it, about who is coming around you and for what reason. Um, unfortunately, there are people in this world who um, have got nothing better else to do but that, you know, to target people um, with whatever it may be, um, just to basically, it's just a way of separating you from your money. And you just got to be very, very careful. And if you get into that uh, that uh, whirlwind or that uh, hurricane or tonight, it's very, very difficult to get out of. Um, and throw in, you know, like I said, alcohol or, or, or drugs or things like that. It makes it, you know, makes it twice as bad. So no matter how bad things seem at the time, um, and for any young kid, you know, just you know, don't don't go down the road of throwing in, you know, drugs and alcohol, and it will make it, you know, three times as worse. Yeah, absolutely, Boz. And now last week. Or, or, or so ago, you gave Kevin Musket some advice about seeking yeah. redemption and playing one more year after, or rather than finishing his career yes. with that Adrian, Adrian Zara tackle. Yeah. Now, it's good to see that he listened to you and retired the very <laughs> <Yeah>. next day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, good to see that he listened to you. But, but yeah. tell us, Bozza, what, what was that advice born out of? What personal um, sort of well, experience? It's simple from personal experience. Um, I was so disenchanted with what occurred to me uh, and and some of the circumstances that surrounded, which had nothing to do with the game, but had some something that had did have something to do with some people involved in the game, but not directly. And if I if, if one thing I would say I have it over again, I, I just you know I I've got a very stubborn streak and I'm not easily intimidated. And people try to intimidate me, especially for the sole reason of just basically uh, taking my money away from me. I'm going to stand up to it. And I would just rather I just would have left that alone. And 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 just concentrated on coming back because I could have done, you know. And, and I, I realised that when I came back and played for the Central Coast. So, but the reason for Kevin Musker was, was pretty much the same in terms of the fact I've known him since he's been 17, and uh, I had a, I've had a really good relationship with him um, throughout all these years. I actually saw him uh, last week at the Gold Coast and said hello to him, and I rang him that week, and I said it straight away after I I hammered him with, and rightly so for that ridiculous uh, or horrendous tackle. I actually said on on air as well, I would not retire. And the reason why is because it, it's, you know, he's a little bit damaged, so to speak. And I don't want people re- remembering him specifically for that tackle. I know he's playing the Asian Champions League, but I would have liked him to play another season in the A-League. And another reason is because he can too. 
And I, I just think that, you know, I know he's got aspirations to be a manager, and I believe one day he will make a good manager, but it, that will leave a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. And he's managing a side that, that, that maybe sort of, you know, go towards the, the very fine line between playing a game, you know, within the, within the rules or, you know, outside the rules. A lot of people are going to turn back and go, well, what do you expect? And I don't want him to have to go through that. Um, because of that reckless act, and I do believe that if he just come back, and and you know I know he's playing the Asian Champions League, but I believe he came back in the A League and just played even half a season. Um, people in this country love redemption, and they, they love people that that come back after they've been knocked down. I just think it would have served him far far stronger uh, in the future for whatever pursuit that he decides to take up. I'm tipping you a Lazarus-like uh, <laughs> resurrection from Muskie in the in the off season and announce his comeback. Now, Bozza, there's been times over my 30 odd years when I've had a few too many drinks and I've uh, and I've blacked out or I can't quite re- remember a few things many times yeah. unfortunately when we took on Iran in 97 was not one of those occasions <laughs> I, can, I can still remember it vividly mate now yes. remembering this is a family show uh, yes. when somebody says to you Iran 97 what's the yeah. first thing that pops into your mind uh, not good enough Simple as that. I'm, uh, basically, uh, I mean, a lot of people would probably be shocked by that, but uh, it, you know, you, yeah, should have and could have a Bulgaria's two two best players. That's what that's what <laughs> I say. You can go on about the whys and what fours and so forth. You know, a lot of people say oh, I've said it before. Maybe we weren't ready as a code and all that, but really, that's about a codswallop. On the night, we just weren't good enough to see it through. And I think a lot of it come down to uh, the, the mental state, which is so important at the highest level. Um, sometimes it, it's, it's more frightening um, to be in a position to win than it is to be underdog. And I think for so long, a lot of those boys in the team have been underdogs and, you know, in terms of football in this country and they realise the expectations and so forth that it was and what it could do, excuse me, what it could do for the code. And I think in the last 20 minutes, you know, I, I, I really do believe that, that the majority of the team, and all you need is really three, but I think the majority of the team basically bottled it. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because, uh, you, you know, the, we should have had the game and the tie wrapped up at half time. But uh, I just think at that time, in that place, we just weren't quite good enough to see it through. And whether that be ability-wise, I don't, it's not so much ability-wise, I think mentally-wise, we just weren't that quite strong enough and equipped as a team um, to see it through. I don't blame the manager at all. Um, the players go on the park. We had it in our hands, and basically we snatched the snatched the defeat from the jaws of victory. Well, snatched the draw from the jaws of victory, yeah. but went out on away goals. So um, that, that's that's all she wrote. You know, I know it may sound harsh and brutal in the cold light of day, um, but but that's that that bears the facts. Well, speaking of the manager, years later, Terry Venables, uh, he was interviewed. He said that it was one of the worst moments in his football history you know he said yeah. it was a tragedy not only because you know of the way the team failed to qualify but also he felt that the 1997 team uh, could have caused some serious damage at the france 98 world cup Do you yeah, well, say- that's, what I, that's what i said bulgarian's best players could have and should have. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he said you could have he said you could have even won the world cup no 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 chance we wouldn't have won the world cup no chance no, he, would, he was no, drinking with maybe, me that night <laughs> yeah I, I think i think iran who did iran get in their group i think they got um the us got, the us was in their group and, yeah us yeah. germany um and i think it was the former yugoslavia mm. so it would have been a very very difficult group to qualify but then no, forget about winning it um if we win a world cup during my lifetime i'll um I would definitely buy lottery tickets during that time. And that's not, again, to put a slight on Australian, Australian football at all. I hope we do. I really hope we win a World Cup in my lifetime. I really hope we win a World Club Cup, you know, through the Asian Champions League. One of the, it would really put us on the map. But 
it's going to be a really difficult thing. I think we should be thinking about you know generations to come that maybe one day we will be challenging for that World Cup. It's a long way to go. Well, Bozza, it's always a great pleasure speaking to you, mate, uh, sharing your stories. That's what we wanted to do tonight. Uh, and you certainly, uh, you know, you didn't uh, sort of hold back with uh, a lot of the stories we wanted to hear about. But thanks for your time again. And continue the great work on Match Day Saturday. It's uh, hey, hey, it's Saturday of world footy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we love it. You and uh, Robbie and uh, Adam Peacock. Thank you very much, guys. And, and, and keep pulling out those great programs. Good on you, mate. That was a Thanks, very man. special soft sombrero moment with Australian football legend Mark Bosnich. Triple M.